So this is page 707. And if you don't have a Bible, you're more than welcome to take this home as a gift from Cornerstone. We would love for you to have it. Starting in verse 28 of chapter 9. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became, but the, when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. And even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. The word of the Lord. I want to briefly introduce tonight uh, our, our preacher to you. I wouldn't really call him a guest because he is from uh, the Cornerstone family, Mark Pender. I've got I to introduce you first, Mark. Uh, many of you know him, but there are several things you might not know about him. Uh, he works as a chemist uh, in Billerica. He has taken a couple seminary classes at Anderson University. He likes the South Carolina Gamecocks. And we have a photo, oh, there we go, showing you that his passion, it's really his true heart's joy. He has a wonderful family, Barry, Lucas, and Julia. And they actually felt called by God to move to New England 11 years ago. And God took 10 years. Things take time. Uh, good things take time. But God brought them up here. Uh, since meeting Mark, uh, I've spent some time with him at our weekly preaching breakfast, and I've seen his love for his family, his love for God, and his love for God's Word. So I'm happy to welcome him up to preach. So would you welcome him, uh, and let's enjoy the Word. Good evening. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting to think that when I first visited Westford 20 years ago, there's no way I thought I'd ever be in a place like this, sharing God's word. It's just neat how God has worked in, in our lives and, and brought us here. Uh, I, I want to give a couple of disclaimers before I start. <clears throat> so the first one is, 
I've practiced, I've gone through this several times, but there are a couple of sections I, I get choked up in. And it's, uh, I just get overwhelmed by the love of God. And so it's not a, an emotional ploy or anything like that. It's just, I can't get over it. It's just, it's just really neat how God works. The second is, I am from South Carolina. I don't have much of an accent, but there may be a few phrases or terms that I use that may be a bit foreign. Uh, so you can see either me or, or Terry afterwards, and we can, we can translate for you. So uh, just, just bear with that and, and, and laugh if I look like I'm waiting for, for a laugh. But uh, pray with me, if you would, as we, as we start. Lord God, we love you. We thank you for this time to gather together. We thank you that your word is unfailing and that you are unfailing. And I pray, Lord God, that you would stir in our hearts tonight and that, uh, that we would walk away from this place changed uh, more, into, uh, more into the figure of Christ, Lord. And I pray that, uh, that your truth would be preeminent tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's see. All right, so tonight's sermon is out of glory into chaos. But as we, as we start, I kind of have a question I want to ask. Uh, and the question is, who, who do you want to meet? And just because we're in church, the answer doesn't have to be Jesus. So just think about some of the people you might like to meet. Maybe it's a sports figure like Larry Bird or Bobby Orr or Nick Foles. Sorry. <laughs> Maybe that's a little early, Sorry. <laughs> Uh, maybe it's a historical figure like uh, Abraham Lincoln or Harriet Tubman or uh, Julius Caesar. Maybe it's somebody from the entertainment world like uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines. Or maybe it's uh, the guys from Dude Perfect. Have you got, are you guys know Dude Perfect? Yeah? Lucas loves Dude Perfect. He's watched, I don't know. I think he's one million of their 30 million views, I think. Uh, but whoever it is, think about meeting that person. And, and then what would you do if you met them? Right? Would you ask for an autograph? Would you ask for advice? Would you never wash the hand that you shook? Right? What would you do? Well, our passage tonight, um, we see Peter, James, and John on top of a mountain in the region of Galilee, and they have an experience that's pretty amazing. And maybe it's like the kid at the Super Bowl. If you watch the halftime show at the Super Bowl, Justin Bieber, not Justin Bieber, what's his name? Justin Timberlake, <laughs> Justin Timberlake uh, goes up into the stands and he's, there's a kid that's so excited to see him and he takes out his phone to take a selfie with him, all right? Maybe you'd do that. But tonight, Peter, James, and John, they're on top of the mountain and they, they get to meet Moses, right? So to put it in perspective, Moses uh, is, a, is a key figure in their history and in their faith, Right? This is the Moses who led them out of slavery in Egypt, who parted the Red Sea through God's power, who was on top of Mount Sinai and enjoyed his presence and received the Ten Commandments, and then later led the nation through the desert for 40 years. He represented the law and the very founding of their country. So this was huge for them to see Moses. This was amazing. On top of that, they got to see Elijah. And Elijah was a prophet, a messenger of God in a, in a really difficult time in the history of Israel. So it was a time of real uh, straying from God, a time when, when many of the people were worshiping false gods and, and their leaders at the time, Ahab and Jezebel, uh, they were at the forefront of this. And so it's this Elijah who is at the center of an epic showdown with the prophets of Baal. 
Okay, so Baal was a false god. And so there was this challenge between Elijah and the prophets right, of, of Baal. And, and so the, the challenge is this. We'll build an altar of sacrifice. We'll pray to our gods and we'll see what happens. Right? So, so Elijah lets the prophets of Baal go first. They build their altar and they, they, they dance and they chant and they sing and nothing happens. Right? And Elijah says, okay, I got this. So he, not only does he have the altar set up, but he takes a, a lot of water and saturates the altar, right? Saturates the wood, saturates the, the meat. He, he, it's so much water, it fills up a moat around the altar. And then he prays to God. And God not only sends that fire down to consume the, the sacrifice, but it licks up the water, even consumes the stones that the altar's made out of. So Elijah has clearly demonstrated that his God is the true God. Our God is the true God. And then Elijah does something, uh, maybe not the most humble, but he taunts the prophets of Baal a little bit and says, uh, maybe you need to shout a little louder. Maybe your uh, God has taken a nap or gone on a trip, right? So it's, it's a pretty funny story. Obviously, uh, they do a better job telling it in, in First Kings than I do. But uh, check, you should check it out. Anyway, these two guys, Moses and Elijah, huge heroes of their faith, dead for centuries, alive right in front of their eyes. Well, Peter, Peter is so excited, he doesn't know what to do, but because he's Peter, he's going to do something, right? Uh, and so he suggests, hey, let's build a shelter for, for, for you, Jesus, and for Moses and Elijah to preserve this momentous occasion. And that's kind of hard for us to understand, what does that mean, build a shelter for them? Right? Maybe that's the equivalent of taking a selfie and posting it on Facebook or Instagram or something. Um, but Luke is gracious and says, Peter doesn't really know what he's saying. Now, down south, we would say, oh, Peter, bless his heart. <laughs> <laughs> because it's at this point that a cloud descends and envelops, uh, envelops him. Right? And they hear the voice of God say, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And when the cloud disappears, Moses and Elijah are gone, and it's only Jesus. You see, Moses and Elijah were huge. They were really important in their history, but they were just men. And at first glance, building a couple of shelters on top of a mountain doesn't seem like a big deal, but building shrines to false gods on top of mountains is what got Israel in trouble centuries before and led to the defeat and exile of the nation. Jesus is God's son, and there is no parallel. You can't put them on the same plane. As awesome as Moses and Elijah were, being with and learning from Jesus was to learn and be with God himself, the one who empowered Moses and Elijah in the first place. God alone is the focus of our worship. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I've chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. You know, the earthly leaders that God gives us are great and, and important in our lives, but we should never confuse them with the God that put them there in the first place and equips them for service, no matter how great they are at CrossFit. Drawing close to God and experiencing His glory 
is really great. It's important. And, and Peter does get that part right when he says, Master, it is good for us to be here. So let's not lose that, right? It's so important for us to draw close to God and, and to be in his presence. But as Jonathan alluded to several weeks ago, God's glory is something we, we may have heard or read about and even talked about, but sometimes it's, it's difficult to articulate what it really means. Sometimes it seems a little, little abstract. So in, in, in kind of the preparation for tonight, I, I came across some definitions to help. Really, glory is, is talking about the weight or worthiness of God, his greatness, his splendor, his brilliance. And experiencing God's glory uh, reminds us of who he is in all of his fullness and in all of his virtue. You see, our God is not small. He's not weak. He's not slow. He does not make mistakes. He does not operate in luck or coincidences. Experiencing his glory reorients us so that he alone is God Almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful, and completely righteous. We see uh, when Moses has his experience on the top of Mount Sinai, he, he asked for God to reveal his glory to him. And this is part of, that, part of that exchange. This is from Exodus chapter 34, verses 5 to 8. It says, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. Being in God's glory reorients us, reminds us of who he is. Being in God's glory is also illuminating. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, he came down uh, actually radiating, glowing, so much so that he had to wear a veil over his face. And we see in this account of the transfiguration that we read about that Jesus is glowing as well. And Luke describes it as bright as a flash of lightning. The difference is Moses was reflecting God's glory. Jesus was letting his own glory shine through. His was the real thing. Again, it's a distinction between God and the leaders he puts in our lives. And this this illumination from God's glory, it's not just a, a metaphor or a figure of speech. John captures it in, in Revelation 21 when he describes heaven and says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. God's glory is also illuminating in the sense that when we draw close to him and we experience his glory, we see more clearly our brokenness and our need for him. It's kind of like going to the gym for me, right? Before I go to the gym, I realize I know I'm not in the best shape, but I'm not in terrible shape either, right? And then I actually go to the gym sometimes. And when I get there, I go, wow. These guys lift a lot of weights. These guys run a lot. And I'm thinking, I must have a funhouse mirror at my home because things look a lot different here than they did when I was in the bathroom. 
And it's kind of like that when we, when we come face to face with God, right? When we, our self-assessment falls flat. When we see his greatness and his glory, his perfection, his holiness, and we realize, wow, I'm so far removed from that. But the great thing is, the good news is, his mercy bridges that gap. His mercy bridges that gap between his worthiness and greatness and our brokenness. When we examine ourselves in the light of God's glory, we can't help but to see those flaws. But when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, when the Father looks at us, he sees not our failure, but the perfection of Jesus. He sees, as it were, the guy instructing CrossFit, not a 40-something out-of-shape dad. And I think Isaiah's encounter with God uh, is a great example of recognizing shortcomings. So in Isaiah chapter 6, uh, verses 1 to 5, sorry, the text is kind of small. It, it reads, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And here, I love the, the New King James Version, uh, which translates the I am ruined section to I am undone. To stand before God and realize, I got nothing. Being in God's presence, experiencing his glory is great. We need to do it. Master, it is good for us to be here. It brought clarity and certainty for Peter. This is my son, my chosen, whom I've chosen. Listen to him. They're reset, they're focused, and being in God's glory illuminates our need for him. When we gather together for worship like this, it's a small vision of what our time in heaven will be like when we experience his glory all the time. Here we can draw close, experience his brilliance, hear from him and see how great he is and start to recognize the parts of our life that, that need some change. It's a time of strengthening. It's a time of encouragement when we gather together with people who share the same beliefs. It's such a special needed time and that's why it's a priority for us and because he's worthy. You know, one of my, my fondest uh, memories from growing up or some Saturday mornings, um, my dad was the first one up in the morning and he'd be in the kitchen cooking eggs and bacon, toast, grits. And on, if we, depending on the time of year, he'd have some uh, tomatoes from the garden that were peeled and sliced, ready to go on the grits. And uh, it was, it was a, a really special time. The four of us boys, we'd, we'd wake up and we'd be really groggy and we'd straggle into the kitchen and fix our plates. You just didn't want to be too late because if you were late, you got the bottom of the pot of grits. And at that point, you're not sure, do I eat this or do I put it between bricks? <laughs> right? So 
after the fog cleared and we were around the table and we'd, we'd joke and tell stories and laugh and it was such a great time. And uh, as great as it was, though, we didn't stay there because usually my dad had something for us to do. And we'd go outside and we'd work our tails off all day, whether it was cutting wood or raking leaves, working in the garden, whatever it was, we were out there until uh, the sun went down. And we did it with joy. We did it with a sense of, of, of camaraderie because we enjoyed that time together in the morning. My dad was a pretty smart guy. <laughs> right? So when we, when we think about some of the characters we talked about tonight, Moses had this amazing encounter with God on the top of Mount Sinai. Right? He got to experience God's glory, but he didn't stay there. He had a nation to lead. When Elijah was on top of the mountain, he also got to experience God's glory, but he didn't stay there. He had two kings to anoint, and he had to find Elisha as his successor. Peter, James, and John didn't stay there. And if we think about Isaiah, the passage that we read earlier, a few, a few verses later, it says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Send me. Peter, James, and John, and Jesus, they came down from the mountain, and they came into a scene of chaos. And the book of Mark records it this way. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. Ask your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Mark tells us that there's this argument going on between the disciples and the scribes. He talks about this uh, distraught father who has a son suffering from seizures. And the other disciples have proved powerless to help. Our family can identify with, with this dad. Uh, Julia grew up having seizures that were not controlled by medicine. And you live life wondering, what if she has a seizure doing this? What if she has a seizure in the middle of the night and we don't know? What if she has a seizure while she's swimming? What if she has a seizure while she's walking down the steps? And you live life scared, powerless. So we know how distraught this father is. We know his hurt, his pain. When Jesus accesses the situation, when Jesus says the situation, his response is, O faithful and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. That's a pretty strong rebuke. We won't dive fully into that, but later on in the account uh, in Mark, the, Mark is such a good passage. <laughs> a little partial to it myself. But. Later on in Mark, uh, the disciples asked Jesus, why couldn't we drive out this spirit? 
And Jesus' response is this one only comes out by prayer. This one only comes out by prayer. The implication is that, we rely, that they were relying on their own strength and not the intercession of God. They were relying on their own abilities and not God. And we need to remember that too when we leave the mountain and go into the chaos. And when we talk about prayer in this context, I don't think Jesus means saying the right words, holding your hands just the right way, praying very earnestly. It's not the mechanics of it. I think it's recognizing your need for him, recognizing your need for his intercession in your situation. And when we tie back into times like this, times of worship, intentionally and on a regular basis, I think it helps us maintain that attitude of dependence on God. I wonder if Peter, James, and John, if they had come down that hill without Jesus, would they have been able to cast out the Spirit because they had just enjoyed the presence and glory of God? I like to think that they would. And if we fast forward a little bit to Acts chapter 3, we see Peter and John encounter a man that's been crippled since birth. And Peter says to the man, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I do but what I have, sorry, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And the man does walk and praises God. And later, Peter challenges the crowd who just seems amazed. Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you all can see. We can't move that chaos towards the kingdom in our own strength. We can't. And then finally, we see uh, the end of this account in Luke chapter 9, verse 43. It comes back to God's glory. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. And the the Greek word for greatness there, Greek is not one of the two classes I took, so I'll spare you the (laughs) spare you that. But that, that word for greatness translates also as glory, splendor, magnificence, majesty, mighty power. You see, it's like We experience God's glory, and then in his strength, in his power, we bring his grace, his mercy, his love to the chaos around us. And then out of that chaos, God receives glory. It's kind of a neat little cycle that we see here. So now what? If you haven't already, make it a priority to join in worship, to be strengthened, to be renewed, to be challenged and grown, to be encouraged so that you can enter the chaos, so that you can enter the pain and angst 
of your friends, your family, your classmates, your coworkers, the guy at Dunks. You like that? The guy at Dunks? <laughs> Come on. It took me a long time to figure that out. The lady at Market Basket who's struggling down the aisle with three kids who are trying to pull everything off the shelf. The family down the street that's been shattered by opioid addiction or unfaithfulness in marriage. The guy that's fresh out of prison for sexual crimes. That strange family that just moved into an apartment complex. They're refugees from another country. They don't speak any English. Or maybe it's that guy who's protesting in anger and pain and thinks that you have the IQ of a Neanderthal because of your faith. Why would we want to enter that? Why would we want to step into the middle of that mess to get dirty, to get hurt? Because Jesus did it for me. He stepped into my chaos. He stepped into your chaos. But, you know, it doesn't have to be dramatic front page types of things, right? It doesn't have to be great stories. One of my favorite ones is, is actually Barry. She married me. <laughs> well, there's probably some truth to that. Um, but Barry met this lady named Frances. And Frances, uh, Frances was lonely. She was an older lady, very lonely, uh, had very little family support, and was terrible with finances, and she was deaf. Frances lived about 20 minutes away, but for a significant stretch of time, she was a big part of her family. And Barry loved on this lady. You know, she, she went to visit her, spend time with her, helped her with her finances, loved on her. It was just a friend of someone who needed one. It wasn't convenient or easy or pretty. But she took advantage of this opportunity to love like Jesus. And when you got to the bottom of the spreadsheet, it didn't make a lot of sense. Why would Barry do all of this? But God works in an economy we don't always understand. And God was glorified from, from that. And Francis was lifted up. But maybe, maybe you're here tonight and uh, talk about transfiguration and glory and Elijah and Baal and uh, healing from seizures and casting out spirits. Maybe all of that's a little bit foreign to you. Maybe you can't make sense of it all, but something is, is tugging at your heart. Maybe you're like the father of the boy who had the seizures, who had this exchange with Jesus in Mark's account. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, <coughs> take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Help me overcome my unbelief. We all struggle with difficult things at times. And none of us has it all figured out. None of us. 
But the good news is, is we don't have to. Jesus is looking for a willing heart. He's looking for that door to open a crack for you to say, I believe, but Lord, I don't have it understood at all. Meet him in your chaos with a willing heart. It's not a recipe for an easy life and rainbows and unicorns, but it is a path of hope in a time to come. There's confidence in that we serve a God who loves us so much that he willingly entered our chaos. You know, as, as we close, I, I kind of want to leave you with a few things to hold on to. I'd encourage you to, to enjoy time in God's glory, to look forward to it, to be encouraged by it, to be strengthened. But then leave the mountain, leave the pew. I guess these are not pews, sorry. That's, I just caught that. <laughs> leave the breakfast table to get dirty, to get tired, to be poured out, sharing the love of Christ in word and deed sharing the love and hope that we have in the midst of difficult circumstances to make an immediate and eternal difference in the lives of others, leading them to benefit from God's glory. Pray with me if you would. Father, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you that we can draw close to you, Lord. That even though we're not worthy, you invite us to experience your glory. And Lord, we thank you that your mercy covers our multitude of sin. And that when you look at us, you don't see the reality of who we are, but you see the perfection of Jesus. We thank you for that. We thank you that, that you put us here, Lord, and that you give us a heart for the people around us. You give us the strength and the things that we need to reach our front line, to provide hope to people, to provide love and mercy like you did for us. In Jesus' name, amen.